Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, hello, earbuds. It is I, Hannah Gelb, and with me is Fabs. Yes, Hi. the one and only. And we are going to do an episode of Analyze This for You because we can. And <laughs> we're going to talk about stuff. What stuff, you may ask? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we're going to see how it goes. No, we were, I think we were going to talk about shame. However, I'm afraid because I have a lot and I'm probably going to cry. So fair warning, everyone, if you're not up for that, please turn this podcast off. Um, <laughs> but, but if you're that's... not up for that, you probably should listen anyway because... Probably you have a friend in your life who's struggling with shame and it's a hard thing to talk about. So maybe you should listen and, you know, learn. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh my goodness. No, that's that's beautiful. That's why we that's why we have you on the podcast, Fab. <laughs> that's why you're a fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off with a little check-in. Fabs, how are you? You know, I am okay. It's very cold where I am now. I decided today that I've reached the peak of adulthood because this, <laughs> oh my gosh. this year, 2019, has been the year of adulting. I, first of all, today finished, well, almost finished, I think, my last dentist appointment for this year. Um, and going to the dentist is like my whatever people's kryptonite is going to the dentist is mine and I this was the year I went after not going back for like six years I did it and I did all my work and I didn't quit going in between and then on top of that I'm closing on my first house on Friday oh my gosh congratulations I'm a real grown-up who goes to the dentist and has a house (laughs) that is so that is so grown-up Oh my gosh. And how scary to go back after six years of not going. Oh my gosh. The last time I went to the dentist, I just had my wisdom teeth out. And the endodontist guy was like, oh man, you know what? I think you need a root canal on this tooth right here. And I was like, oh, okay, let's schedule that. And then I literally never went back. So then (laughs) fast forward, you know, six years. And of course my tooth is like rotten and dead because I never went back. But now is causing the, the teeth around it are causing some pain. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go back to the dentist. And the pain started in January of this year. And I was like, I think if I just don't go back, it will go away. And that did happen. But then it came back again, the pain, like so badly that I was like, I think I have to go to the dentist. 
So then I, I went and then I had a root canal, like a real grown up, my first ever root canal, which by the way, guys, if you're out there and you're scared of root canals, let me tell you, it was a walk in the park because they gave me enough drugs <laughs> really? for me to just not even remember the whole experience. And you can get that today in America. Oh, okay. That's well, that is really good to know because my parents are baby boomers and have told me about their root canal experiences and they used to call the dentist the house of pain. Oh my gosh. I I understand. I truly understand that. <laughs> but I'm telling you technology has changed guys and it's worth going back to the dentist. Oh, this is really good to hear cuz I too need to go to the dentist and now and uh, and speaking of shame, I'm I'm full of shame. And also what's crazy <laughs> is I swear to god I was just there, but it's been a year. Like well, I'm I like, think a oh, year is good. Been that I mean, long. if you haven't been in a year, I'm still like that's impressive to me. It's like some of the earbuds out there will understand the like, just never go back and pretend it never happened thing, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. work out, guys. You have to keep going. It just gets Mm. worse if you don't. Ugh, God. Okay. Ugh, God. Why is everything so hard? I know. Um, Well, but also a house. That's incredible. What happened? That was just (laughs) out of nowhere. (laughs) I don't even know. But I can tell you, between the two things, between going to the dentist and buying a house, for sure going to the dentist was incredibly, like, way more stressful. I did way more research. I had way more anxiety, (laughs) way more prep, put it off for way longer. Next to going to the dentist, (laughs) buying a house was like a walk in the park. Let me tell you. Wow. That's so interesting. The stories we tell ourselves, you know, that make these things so much harder than they have to be. Yes. God, I mean, I, you know, I saw Hannah over the weekend. She came down to San Diego and we were like walking around my neighborhood and she was like, oh, I wonder how much this house is because we saw a for sale sign. And I was like, oh, it's probably like a million dollars. I looked it up and she's like, oh, it's like 500000 You could probably like get a loan for that house. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, uh, Hannah was like, yeah, man, you know, the world's like full of possibilities, like things that you can do. And I was like, oh, what? Really? I'm like, wait, which world? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I had already pretty much just decided I would never own a home ever. You know, it It happens when it happens. I, if you'd have told me a year ago that I was going to buy a house, I would have been like, no, never. I would never buy a house. I don't believe in buying houses. I mm-hmm. want to rent forever. I want to be free. I want to be able to move every time I want. So it's mm-hmm. just like, I could never have imagined it before. And like, I think I also oh. are always had a secret narrative that was like, you have to be married before you have a house, you know? And like, mm. if you buy a house mm-hmm. without being married, you'll never get married was something like, I would never have said that. I wouldn't have even thought the thought that clearly, but I do think it was like a cultural script that was like lurking underneath my consciousness. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but it just changed and it felt doable. And some of my friends bought houses. And I think all of that is like, it's just like the right time type of thing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I sound like that one guy who's in all the Wes Anderson movies. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Wait, Gosh. tell me what's going well, on with so you cool. life-wise. I'm getting really like dragged down by my job, but not for like the normal reasons. Because, you know, I got a new supervisor and I have a new team and that was really making things a lot better. But now I just feel really like burnt out I think but I don't feel like I'm entitled to my to feeling burnt out like I think I, I okay I think I have, I have 
too much to do. None of it is like very satisfying. And a lot of my work requires like talking on all these outside parties, which is very tiring and like waiting for other people to do their job so I can do my job and, and like just trying to keep people like not angry. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's like there's kind of like customer service aspect to it. And it's just mm-hmm. really exhausting. Like when I first started this job, fucking three and a half years ago, <laughs> I was like so energetic and running around and now I'm just, I don't know, I'm just so tired. And I'm like, I'm tired yeah. of doing the same things over and over. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like anyone really cares. I don't feel like anyone would say I'm even doing that great of a job. So I guess what I'm stuck right now is I'm like, well, I kind of feel like I need to ask for help, but I don't want to ask for help because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I don't even know if I, it's it's like, I want to ask for help, but I'm afraid they'll be like, okay, well, give us your, like, time logs and evidence of how you're overworked and I'll be like well some things came up and that was too much for me you know I just feel like everybody here works so hard and they care so much and they're like thinking about their coworkers, and they like want to do a good job for everybody else and I'm just like I do everything out of like spite and anger you know <laughs> like I just wish I just wish so much I could be a person who goes to a job and is like, okay, this is not my dream job. And I've said this like a hundred times before, but I'm still going to do a good job and I'm going to have a good attitude because that's going to pay off later. But like, I still just come in like so like upset that I have to work and then I feel like such an asshole because I'm like well hey Nikhil why do you think you shouldn't have to work everybody has to work <laughs> like I really do feel like well I should have I should only have to work for like three hours a day <laughs> and then the other three hours a day I should like be paid to be <laughs> Watch on <Supernatural>. Twitter <laughs> <laughs> yes so I'm like okay I'm just this like I have like a spot that like cannot be fixed which is like i'm a baby princess and i don't want to work and i shouldn't have to and it's really hard to like say that and it's really hard to look at i mean yeah, first of that's all what's going on it's, it sounds <laughs> exhausting you've got this situation that's hard and it, that produces its own feelings. But then oh, you're carrying this like mega anvil on your back of your secondary feelings about your feelings. So it's like you have your primary emotions that are reaction to the situation, but then you have all these secondary emotions about your emotions. So every time you feel an emotion, you have an emotion about that emotion. And you have, you know, narratives around that emotion. And that almost sounds like the anvil that spirals you into the shame or pain place where it's like the situation itself, if you could just feel disappointed in your job or like angry with your coworkers without then feeling so much shame or anger or guilt or sorrow at that, then I think you would feel a lot more free, you know, like everybody feels disappointed with their jobs. It doesn't matter what your job is. Like I work with a lot of people who have the kinds of jobs that other people might look at and say it's their dream job. And like, they still get disappointed with work. They still want to like, you know, work for three hours and then like watch Supernatural. <laughs> like, well, I don't, I don't know if but, anyone like, besides you wants to watch <laughs> Supernatural, but, <laughs> but I guess other people do out there. Sorry, all the earbuds who love Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what is the point of anything if everything is disappointing? But it's not. Everything isn't disappointing. The everyday isn't disappointing, right? There are things you enjoy in life, like Supernatural. 
or like <laughs> you know connecting with friends like over a good meal or like that moment when you get to kind of like rest and in, in the couch and like everything isn't disappointing but everything is made more disappointing so like depression rates are like way higher in the western world or whatever and part of that's just because like ain't nobody diagnosing depression <laughs> over like in syria actually it's not true. some people are but but like also it's because what causes depression is the what they call the achievement gap it's the gap between expectation and reality and so that's why you see sometimes people who are born in countries where their expectation is like pain and suffering don't actually struggle as much with depression because there isn't as much of a gap between expectation and achievement but in america we have like we're drowning in social media right we're drowning in like cultural scripts handed to us left and right that life is perfect like i look at my friends instagrams who are married and their instagrams make it look like their marriage is the best thing in the world and i'm like i literally had coffee with you yesterday and you told me how trapped alone and helpless you felt in this relationship and now today it's Mm -hmm. like it's his birthday and he is the best person I've ever known and I would be dying without him and I've never regretted this choice for a second, you know? And it's like, that creates for people an expectation that that's what marriage is like. And I think the same thing that happens with work and it's not ingen- it's not disgenuine, right? My friend who posts something like that is just having a really sweet day and she's actually enjoying something. And so people who do the same thing with jobs, it's like they have a great day at work and they're like, oh my gosh, I love this job so much. I'm so thankful for it or whatever. And then little girl Hannah Gelb sees something like that somewhere or hears someone talking like that and is like, oh, this is what this is what you're supposed to feel about work. And then when she doesn't, she's like, oh, this is really disappointing. And then you try to manage that by preparing for work to be the worst, except you can't trick yourself into having that expectation, right? You can't really talk yourself out of expectations. They're like secret sneaky things inside of you that as much as you'd like to, you don't really get to control. Like they're the child part of you that has like dreams and wishes and longings and like she won't be shamed into giving up her dreams. And so instead you have to each day kind of face this like gap between what you'd hoped and what is. But I think that gap is widened by your perception of what is, which I think is made heavier by your perception of who you are. Everything you just described, like it's not that work is disappointing. It's that when you describe being disappointed with work, it spirals somehow into you're disappointed with you. Like you're disappointed with who you are and how you react to situations and your career because of what it reflects about you. That's a really heavy burden and that is going to feel overwhelming. And the hope is that even if like your job is still the same job tomorrow or 10 years from now or 25 years from now, your perception of yourself can change. That can actually be shifted. And it may be that one day like you're proud of yourself and that will make the whole experience like feel so different, you know? It's so (sighs) hard. It is so hard. so hard. It's hard also because I don't know how genuine I can be. You know, like my, I think, like I have a meeting tomorrow with my supervisor and, you know, she's really nice. She's very kind. And I feel like if I say like, well, I feel really overwhelmed. I don't want to do any work and I don't know what to do. And it keeps getting worse every day. <laughs> like She's going to be like, well, I'm not a therapist. Like, I don't know. I can tell you how to manage time better. But like, the problem is my soul. Like, my soul is the problem. I'm literally considering going to my psychiatrist and being like, can you give me a note that says I can't go to work for the rest of this year so I can just, like, have some space and not be ground into a paste by, like, capitalism? And, like... 
Yeah, <sighs> but you don't. The thing is, you don't need a note. I mean, you can get one for sure. It's called like family medical leave, <laughs> and yes, you can get one. But at the end of the day, you can also just say no. You don't need someone else to validate the reason for it to be valid. You can just tell her you're overwhelmed and you don't have to explain or defend it or show the hours or prove to her that anybody would be overwhelmed. Like it doesn't matter. You can just say I'm overwhelmed. That may mean you want a different job that doesn't involve all this responsibility and pressure and like all this feeling a certain way about your job. Not every job is like that. You know, all jobs have different pros and cons and no job is perfect, but they are all like different in the ways they rub up against your soul, there might be a better fit. But because of this narrative you have about yourself that you're like a quitter or that you're incapable, you sabotage your capacity to make those that next decision because I think it's like you don't believe it's the job. You believe it's you. You believe your soul is broken. And that is like when it's hard, what we want is for you to be able to be like, this is a hard situation or this is a hard situation for me. But never like all of it is hard because I'm somehow broken because that does feel really hopeless. Like it's not true. And I know you've heard a million times it's not true and that doesn't make it feel less yeah. true. But like, but then it's even, it's even worse because I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like feeling shame that I'm feeling so much shame. Oh, no. Like it's so useless and stupid. <laughs> it's, it's a waste of its time. Own thing. It's just its own battle. You know, it's its own battle and it comes from somewhere and got programmed in there somehow. I know it doesn't feel hopeful, but I remember like, one of my lowest points at that time <laughs> in counseling, I remember going to my therapist and just being like, you know, she was trying to be like all positive And my shame had like really come from like specific choices I'd made. I was like, well, now I'm trapped, right? I'm going to be in shame all my life. I don't know what my hope is. Like, I'm never going to be able to rewrite the things I've done. I'm never going to be able to change it. And so I feel totally hopeless and like, what's the point in anything? Like, I, this isn't a thing I can change. This isn't a thing about my personality. It's not a thing about like my future. It's just a thing about my past and there's nothing I can do to undo it. And I remember her saying to me, like, you're fighting the wrong thing. Like you're, you're fighting this choice you've made and you're thinking that's where this shame is rooted in. But the shame isn't rooted in that. The shame is rooted in like the narratives you have about yourself. And that can be changed. And so the hope is like, even if your past isn't ever different, which it never will be, you will view it differently. You, there is hope that you will be free of this. And that's the same with you. It's like your, your shame is telling you it's about your personality or your soul, like that it's something you can't change. But it's not. Your shame only exists because of some stupid narrative that got pushed in there and like someone handed you some glasses so that when you look at yourself, you see through a distorted vision and like it's not you, it's the glasses. And like, that's the hope that they can, it really is true that they can be taken off. Like it is possible. It's hard and it's work, but it's possible. And then there's this hope that one day, Hannah Gelb, you might love yourself, like really love yourself. And that is a real thing. I believe in it. I've seen it happen for people. That's kind of encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so hard when you're in it to not like, the reason it feels hopeless is you believe that you're like totally broken. The reason it's not hopeless is like, that's all it is, is your perception of yourself that's broken. That's the thing that can be changed. You are not broken. You're great. And this may be the job for you and it may not be the job for you. It'll probably be pretty hard to tell that until you're able to make a mistake or get overwhelmed or get angry or get irritated without it spiraling into you're worthless. Because any job where you go to work feeling worthless is going to be too heavy a job to bear. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to do about this, but I still have a lot. I carry like a lot of shame from like, well, lots of things, but like, I feel like I'm very job specifically shamed or like have 
just job fear. There's just something about jobs that are just like my kryptonite. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone was like, hey, do you want to like walk through a town naked for 48 hours or do you want a job? I'd be like, oh, I'll walk through the town <laughs> naked. I would much rather do that. Jobs are so much tied to like my idea of like how capable am I of like taking care of myself and like how am I yeah. going to like – how do I grow with a job? How do I like yeah. make it so I have a life that I want with a job like or have a job that supports the life I want? What if I don't, I don't even know what the life I want looks like? Or like what yeah. are my values? How do I like yeah. I honestly don't know how anybody does anything. It just all <laughs> seems so impossible. Yeah. Well, it's like it is like the dentist where it's like some people are like that's it's really easy. Even if you're scared, you just go and you sit in a chair. But it's like, that's not how it works for me. It's not like I can just make myself do it. <laughs> like, it is a thing that's really rooted in some sort of deep childhood trauma. You can't talk yourself into it. And, like, those associations that our brain makes, they're very powerful and they're very real. And, like, they shape us, you know. And at some point, this narrative that you have about your capacity or what it means for you to have value as a human being has gotten tied to where your income comes from from professionally, you know, and it's like, that's sucks. That sucks that that's happened. And again, that's a thing that you, you can rewire that. And even just knowing that it's a narrative you have rather than a truth that exists is so helpful. Like if you could accept that, like you have a narrative that your value and worth is tied to your job versus your value and worth is tied to your job. Those things are so different accepting and receiving that, oh, this is this is a narrative I have in my brain. It's really hard to overcome. It's how I'm able to go to the dentist, right? Because I'm like, the dentist isn't a torture device. It just feels like it, brain. And like, <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> and, well, right, right. But they're trying to serve a function. I think they're trying to help me somehow, you know? And like, I'm going there even though I feel like it's a torture chamber because I'm confident it's not. And that's sort of where you have to get as well. It's like, it feels like my worth is mixed up in this, but I'm going to keep more moving forward because I'm confident, like I've settled it in some deep place inside me. But even if it feels that way, it's not. It's not true. That's the hard work, you know, of shame. is like even separating those things out, even before you're able to change the like power that narrative has over you, you know? Well, and also it's like part of me doesn't even want to not feel shame. It's like I, I just want to, it's like I just want to be proven right, you know? I just want to like fail and fail and fail. So I can be like, see, everybody, I do suck. And then I can go like live in a home. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Well, that's have like a the lemonade stand or something. <laughs> I do think that's like the tricky thing about shame, right? It's like, it feels like a friend. It can feel like it keeps you safe. I know plenty of people, myself included, who've used shame as like this. Um, it protects you in some ways from people being disappointed in you. Because if you are like, I'm the worst, then the only thing other people around you could ever say is like, oh, you're not that bad. <laughs> you know. It, so in some ways, shame saves you from the fear of like being shamed. It's not your friend. It's not your friend. And it's also not telling you a true thing. Like sometimes I think with my shame, it would be, I would have that feeling of like, your shame is the only voice in your head that's willing to tell you the truth about yourself. Everybody else is kind of like, bullshitting you you know like shame is the one that's like gonna give it to you straight but that's not true I think in order to change you're right you you have to like settle it in your head that shame is your enemy it's not productive and like there is a kind of shame that is adaptive that is helpful and that is not what you're experiencing like the adaptive kind of shame is the like 
if you do something terrible, it helps you learn. I don't like that I did that. I'm going to do something different moving forward. It's like what keeps us from becoming serial killers. That kind of shame (laughs) should A, never infect your identity. It's never I'm something terrible. It's like, oh, I did a thing that isn't in line with who I am that validates and confirms that my identity is not that thing. If my identity was that thing, I wouldn't mind doing it. It's identity affirming. It's like, oh, you aren't the thing you've done. It's like it goes away after you receive its information. That's like adaptive shame, which basically no one in the world has. (laughs) Most people have like the maladaptive shame that's like infected your identity or lingering and like it won't leave. Your shame should only ever be, in theory, triggered by you're doing a thing that isn't in line with who you want to be as a person, like you hurt somebody or you're mean to somebody. Even then, it's just like a feeling, just like any other feeling that's like, oh, oh man, I wish I hadn't done that. I'm going to apologize or I'm going to just be nicer to them tomorrow. And then it should go away. When it gets into that identity piece of you, it's already maladaptive and it's forming these like conclusions about who you are that then you can't escape from, right? Because if it's who you are, there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I mean, luckily, I have therapy tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. We're actually going to really start working on, like, the Enneagram type of stuff. Because I Great. think a lot of this is also tied with, like, you know, feeling all these things and not being able to be in charge of them, kind of, I guess. Yeah. Well, you. I think that you mentioned that, like, your capacity, your capability, and even when you described your ther- therapist kind of giving you a note, it's, like, all very childlike. Like, you don't have agency, power, or control. I identify that in you because that's a major struggle for me. Like, I often feel like someone was supposed to protect me from something and they didn't. <laughs> you know, like, I do feel that, like, inner child self so much. And like one of the best things for me has been like, oh, I can control this. If I don't like this, I can leave. If I do like this, I can stay. Maybe if you quit your job, it'll all be terrible and like the whole world will crumble. But either way, you'll have made a choice and you'll feel good. Like that part, like learning that you can actually make choices, that you have freedom and agency. It's just like that fear on the other side that like really comes from that deep feeling of being incapable. And I think like, you know, I'm your, I'm your five wing. This is your five wing speaking, <laughs> but like that's, that's the root fear of the five, right? Is that you are incapable. I'm not like, if you could just get more information, you'd be fine. And then you've got the fourness that's like, I'm irreparably broken and will never belong and fit in anywhere. And so you're like, you've got the four, you're leaning into the five fear of incapable, but you've also got a three wing and your three wing is very capable and very competent and knows it. You know, that three part of you knows what it feels like to like crush it. You're good at so many things. I mean, I know our earbuds will affirm this, but like. But all of those things are dumb. They're like, not dumb. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah Gelb, <laughs> Hannah Gelb, you, what, like, work, <laughs> you, are, you are on a podcast that you run with your co-host, Hannah Hart, who is a digital influencer as part of what she does, right? She's also like a writer and she's a creator. But part of what she does is use the format of the internet to influence and lead. When I'm like, you're so good at writing copy for social media, you're like, worthless. I'm like, I work in an industry where people get paid good money for that. It is like a real career that real people make money off. And like, that's a that's a real thing. Yeah, I know you're right. I mean, I know it's like no matter what I'm doing, I'll just think, well, I'm doing it, so it can't be that good. Right, or right. It can't be that hard. Or like, right. 
<laughs> right, which is probably why everything's disappointing. Is it's like there's no real way out because you can't ever get out of you. So it's like you can change your circumstance, but if you're the thing that you're not on board with, you're going to be in every circumstance you're in. Right. I mean, I think for me, it's like very, it's very scary because I think it's like trying to just make me completely self-destruct. You know, I'm like, well, if you're useless and like you can't do anything, then you can just completely give up and lie down and then you don't have to do anything anymore. Yay. Like, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't that sound great? It doesn't sound great to you, though. I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't really sound uh, sound great. Well, what can I do in this afternoon before, like, yeah, for the rest of this workday? Like, I was thinking (laughs) one of the things that makes me feel like terrible is that I come in and I'm like, okay, here we go. And then I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. I don't mm-hmm. care about this. Mm-hmm. Then my brain is like, or my shame is like, oh, you don't care about this? Well, that's because you're a psycho. Mm-hmm. It's because you're a psychopath. Like, <laughs> oh and you're bad. You're just bad. Yes. You're a bad person. Why can't, how come you don't care about this? It's your job. Like, you should care about it. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't have to care about it. I can get it done. And also simultaneously, not care about it well okay here's what's interesting and i don't know if this is true all the time but it is in the examples you've given is your shame always a secondary emotion to your other emotions like is it generally triggered by you having a feeling about something and then you feel shame like what you just described is you had a feeling which was like oh okay this isn't where my heart is and that's kind of like a bummer i'd rather be doing work where my where i'm excited about it you know and then for some reason you feel shame over that feeling is that how it normally works? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, and so I did not, I, my brain was not as eloquent as you just were like, oh gosh, I sure wish I could be doing something sure, I really sure, enjoy. Sure. I mean, maybe, sure, but first it was sure. like, oh, why? <laughs> but that's really interesting because, you know, I mentioned that adaptive shame is supposed to be triggered by you doing a thing that's like, you know, not in line with who you are, but also it gets triggered by things that our cultural spaces say make us not worthy of belonging. Which, again, like in a healthy, if we were all in a perfect land, that would help us like not be serial killers, not be mean to kids, not steal their lunch money, whatever. But we don't. We live in a broken world where kids make fun of kids for the wrong things. So we start to get shame around things that are actually functional, beautiful parts of who we are. And I wonder if as a four, because you've had probably these strong emotional experiences your entire life, like at some point you've learned to feel shame over your feelings. And like you've, ex- you've learned to accept some, like you can accept feelings that are like, you know, if you're sad about something that feels totally neutral, that's not complicated in any way. But if there's a feeling you have that's like anger or irritation at someone else or disappointment with a job, it sounds like you internalize that as, oh, having that feeling is something that is out of line with who I ought to be as a person. I would encourage you to begin letting your primary emotions be, like just letting them be and observing them rather than like condemning them. And like observing them doesn't have to mean like you're like, yeah, like if your coworker is irritating you, accepting that emotion, that primary emotion of irritation doesn't mean being like, you know what? She is the worst. And like, we should all probably like not hang out with her ever again. It just means accepting, oh, there's something about her that makes me feel irritated. It's not necessarily her that she's doing it. It's something, it could be some way I interpret what she's doing. Something in this situation is getting translated to me in such a way that I'm irritated. Just accepting that as information. It doesn't mean anything about you. It doesn't mean anything about her. 
It's just information. And then you can decide what to do with it. But like trying to create space for those primary emotions to be felt, if the shame voice kicks in, which it probably will, just kind of in a caring, compassionate way being like, hey, shame voice, (laughs) like we're actually just (laughs) spending a little time listening to this first emotion right now without judgment or condemnation. (laughs) So like, Uh... go ahead and take a seat in the back of the classroom and we'll get to you in just a second. <laughs> but right now I want to hear from this emotion. And again, like as if, you know, when we talk about voices in the in your courtroom of your mind, like you want to introduce a person in there who can like let everybody have their say. So like primary emotion, tell me what you're feeling. Oh, I'm feeling irritated, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling upset about this person because blah 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 blah. Okay, now shame voice, what is it about what you just heard that that you think is wrong, that you think is not in line with the person you want to be? Listening to those emotions without Like they're just kind of witnesses in the courtroom. They're not the judge and they're not the jury. Like your emotions aren't deciding what's true and they don't need to be kicked out of the courtroom. They belong in there because they're just giving you information. Like they're just. Okay. Can we, can we practice with like. Yes. What happened this morning? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So first of all, (laughs) I came into work and I was so sad about being at work that I didn't do anything for like three hours. And then okay. I was like, and so wait, wait, wait. So pause. So like right <laughs> okay. there, that feeling you have is sadness. Okay, what would happen if you listened to that feeling? What what was what was it saying? What was it sad about? What triggered it? Tell me about the sadness. It's like okay, every most days I get up and I like rush out of the house and I sit down at work and then I'm like, oh my god, I was literally in bed like not that long ago. I don't even know where I am. I cannot go from zero to a hundred. Like what is happening? And then I like have a really hard time getting into like the swing of work. And then today I went to bed really early. I woke up at five and I like had breakfast. I was like reading a book. I came to work and I still felt so sad and I still felt like I didn't have enough time and I felt like I just want to read my book. That's what I want to do right now, but I can't because I have to be in this stupid job. Okay. So you felt sad because like this isn't how you want to be spending your time today. Yes. And because it's like I'm very aware I'm not a morning person. I really am not, which also is a source of shame because I just have this idea that morally strong people get up really early. And I'm like, well, Hannah, if you don't want to get up really early, you should get another job. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I just, I guess I feel like, I feel like you were saying, not being capable of Mm -hmm. being in charge of my own life. Mm -hmm. Like a powerlessness. Yeah. Like I know it's my own choice to get up every day at like 5 fucking 30 in the morning and like go to this job. But it doesn't feel like a choice. But it is. I know it's a choice, but it doesn't feel like one. And then, you know, sometimes I'll like look at all these other jobs and I'm like, I don't want to do any of these. These all Mm -hmm. sound so Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Like join the circus? I mean, like, how am I supposed to make a living? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's really hard. It sounds like, which makes sense. Because like, one of the things I think you're really good at is kind of seeing patterns and seeing bigger pictures. And it's what makes you great with people. And it's what makes you like interesting and fun to talk to. It's like, but that thing your brain is doing on overtime is making it really hard for you to simplify and just react to the thing that's happening right there. It's like the being present thing. You need to apply like the mindfulness and meditation concepts to your emotions. Like this morning, it's like you get up and you read a book. Even in that moment where you're reading the book, instead of like for me on a Sunday, for example, like if I'm reading a book and then I remember I have to go to work the next day, it's like no longer do I enjoy 
reading the book because I have anxiety about going to work the next day. But it's like, I'm not at work right now. I'm reading a book. <laughs> so like, yeah. then on Monday, I'm like, how was your weekend? Well, it was stressful and anxious, but it wasn't. It was delightful. I was reading a book, but I rewrote that. I rewrote that whole thing and I traded in the emotional experience of the present for the emotional experience of the future. Because of that, I never got to have the emotional experience of the present. But instead it being like, okay, you woke up this morning, I'm up early, I'm reading a book. Do I like reading a book right now? Yeah. And then get in the car. And when the temptation hits to be like, oh my gosh, this is my life. I hate this. To zoom back in and be like, right now, your hands are on the steering wheel. Put on a podcast. How do you feel right now? How do you feel about being in the car driving somewhere? If you didn't know where you were driving, if you didn't know where you were coming from, like you're just in this moment. How is this moment? And same at work. When you get there, it's like I have an egg timer on my desk that like when I feel like totally stumped, I just flip it and it's like 30 minutes. I just am going to do 30 minutes. And for 30 minutes, I'm just going to be here. Like I don't have to look at my to-do list for the rest of the day that's overwhelming. And I don't have to think about like the relational drama going on that's waiting for me at home. And I don't have to think about like going to the dentist or whatever it is I have to do at 3 p.m. It's like, I'm just going to feel what I feel right now. And then when I'm at the dentist, I can feel what I feel about the dentist trying to zoom in on these feelings and be like, what do I feel about what's happening right now? And just having the freedom to feel that. That sounds great. I mean, <laughs> I there know. is no I like... I know you're right. I mean, when I was at work today, I was like, okay, you're getting your... I'm like, wow, and everyone... It's like, I'm not even doing a good job. Everyone hates me. And I was like, whoa, whoa okay, like, wait a minute. No one has actually said anything to you about your work or your work performance like Mm -hmm. today. So I don't Mm -hmm. know why you think that, but it was just not very, it just felt like putting a little finger in the hole in the wall while there's this like tidal wave of like incorrect shame feeling. Yeah. You have like these shame narratives about yourself, right? These things you believe about yourself. And then hopefully you have other narratives inside of your head about yourself that are like, like in some part of you, I hope that you're like, you know what? I am okay. And like some part of you that's like, well, I've heard you say it a million times. Like, it's the system that's broken, right? Not me. So, like, I know those voices uh, yeah, are, are in, <laughs> they're in there somewhere, right? They Well, they might be in there. But, like, the great news is, I don't know if this feels like great news. Uh, probably doesn't. But, <laughs> but, like, what's true about you and your worth doesn't change based on how you view you and your worth. Like, what's not being decided in that, like, courtroom of your mind is, like, how valuable and precious and wonderful you are. Like, that's settled. It really is. The whole thing that we're arguing over here is, like, how you can learn to see that. The sweet relief is, like, the appraisal of the work of art that is Hannah Gelb has already happened. It's already been determined. It's, like, done. And you're going to run into people the rest of your life who are, like, shitty appraisers. And they're like, ah, that's not that valuable, (laughs) you know? And you'll run into some who are, like, (laughs) reflect rightly back to you the worth that you have. And right now, you're just another one of those appraisers. And, like, you're looking at this piece of artwork that is you and you're like, yeah, you're not worth anything, but but you're wrong. You're wrong about you. Your worth isn't up for debate. It's just working on how you see yourself, whether you can believe that. I don't say that to minimize how much work that is, but I say that because it's like, sometimes it's helpful to have that anchor in your soul that's like, I'm not deciding here if I have value or worth. I do have value and worth. I'm deciding if I'm going to believe that. That's the thing you need to have like on an index card on your desk that every time that shame thing kicks in, it's like that voice is not deciding whether or not you're worthy or whether or not you're a bitch or whether you're capable or whether or not you're an evil person. Like 
it doesn't, it's just a voice. It's just a voice. It's like some sort of coping mechanism you got from some person you met when your brain was still developing and they fed your brain this little piece of information, your brain latched on. And now it thinks that voice will help you be the person you want to be. But your brain is wrong about that. <laughs> like, and you can like listen to it with compassion and validate like, hey, I understand that you are a narrative that exists inside of my mind because of some experience I've had in the past. I just want you to know like, while you make sense, what you're saying isn't true. That isn't the truth about who I am. It's just a thing I've been told about who I am. It's not who I am. <laughs> this this episode should be the Hannah Gelb groan. <laughs> yeah, no, stop, Hannah Gelb groan. That that is that that is that is very encouraging. So thank you, Fabs. I, I now I no, just want to tell you, like, I just want I just want to be like, okay, well, at age three, here's right. what I just want to <laughs> I mean, tell that's you, the like, work of every, therapy, right? Every single thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> No, but it's true. That's where it comes from. Like not always earbuds intentionally. Like it's not always like people trying to tell you you're shitty, but like shame, one of the primary causes of shame in adults is when they have an experience as a young child where they ask someone to watch them do something and that person doesn't see. Like that is obviously not intentional, but the example in like emotion focused therapy books that they'll give is like, hey, mom, watch me jump off the diving board. And mom like turns to friend to drink or have a conversation right at that moment what happens is you're, this isn't funny. It's just sad. But the way your brain internalizes that is like, I'm not worth watching. Every mom listening to this now feels extreme shame because she's like, wait, am I causing this? And no, like the point of that illustration is that it would be impossible. It would be impossible to protect someone from this. Some people have like more explicit narratives, right? Where they were told something about them wasn't valuable and worthy, but sometimes it can be caused by an accidental moment that is just like your brain internalizes the thing as there's something that's wrong about me that caused this. That's why a lot of times victims of abuse, like they take on the shame of their abuser. Adaptive shame, right, would be their abuser feels like shame. But because their abuser doesn't feel shame, because they don't have that inconsistency that's like, oh, this isn't in line with who I am, the child feels that and takes it on as their own. I must have done something wrong. I must be broken. Then your brain internalizes these narratives and it gets caught up in this, like, there's something deeply wrong with me. Everybody has those stories. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, what am I going to do? Go to therapy and tell them all? Yes, like totally. Yes. (laughs) Because then what happens is when you get to rework them, like when you pull those memories out of like conscious regurgitation and like actually access them and feel the emotions around them, get them what they call hot then you're able to reframe them and you're able to like not rewrite what happened, but rewrite how you interpret it. Like that happened because that person was doing something wrong or that happened because my mom was busy and she looked away, not because I wasn't worth watching or that happened because that person had their own brokenness that came from their own parents. And if you can do that with a memory while it's hot, you can actually rewire kind of how it's stored inside your brain and and the conclusions your brain draws because of it. You know, does your uh, therapist do EMDR? Have you heard of EMDR? She doesn't do that, but we do do NET, which okay, I think okay. is pretty, which is, yeah, pretty helpful. Uh, um, so my, I did EMDR for my shame stuff, and I got to tell you, it was one of the most helpful things I've ever done. I wouldn't have even been able to tell you. As I said, my shame was like, felt like it was situated primarily in a thing that I had done. So it was like, 
I don't need to go to therapy. I actually have adaptive shame. That's, that's kind of the lie I continue to believe. Like it's actually appropriate for me to hate myself for the rest of my life because of the things I've done, you know? And because <laughs> oh, it was coming from, I know, fabs. I know, well, probably not poor fabs in fabs mind. Then working through it in therapy, we did EMDR and like, I realized like, oh, wow, there's a lot deeper narratives that then this thing you've done now has, has like your brain has used that as proof of a thing it already thought about itself. Those narratives come from a long, long time ago, and they come from like very simple memories. And like in EMDR, we reframed one of my memories as like, I guess I had internalized, I'm just kind of like annoying to be around and not really likable. Like, it's okay. That's just who I am, you know? And then going back to it and kind of working through EMDR, it was like, oh, no, no, this other person in this situation doesn't know how to care about people. (laughs) And like, that's about them. (laughs) And then once my brain could kind of see that, it could see that pattern in every interaction with that person and like every person they interacted with. And it was like, oh, okay. And I felt like, obviously, still struggle with shame, still have to work through those things. But it did feel radically different, like what a root it had on me, what felt different. Well, I'm just going to try to make it the rest of today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, rest of today, you're just going to try to feel what you feel. And when you feel it, you're going to try to focus on the primary emotion and know that every primary emotion is just a reaction, either to a circumstance you're in or to a narrative you have about that circumstance. And all are valid and all are helpful, okay? So we're just going to try to accept our primary emotions. Okay, and yes, I'm going to accept my primary emotion and I'm going to write on a little index card. My value yes. is not up for debate. It's not. It's really not. Nobody else gets to decide it. Not the friends who think you're awesome. They don't get to decide. And not the shitty people who think you're worthless. They don't get to decide. It's just kind of settled. It's like human beings have worth and dignity. And also you can listen to Fabs' voice because her voice does have weight. <laughs> and, and Hannah Gelb is awesome and amazing and wonderfully. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I'll take it. I'll accept it today. I accept. Thank you. Thank you, Yay. Fabs. Gosh, well, I suppose we should wrap up this episode. Uh, <laughs> earbuds, thank you so much for hanging out with me while I just was a fucking drip this Aww. whole time. I hope this was helpful and uh, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. Hannah <laughs> <laughs> um, Gelb is doing great. She's doing all the work. I'm doing, you know, in in the grand scheme, really everything is, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and Fabs has a house now. Oh my I God. Have Friday. I have a house on Friday. By, so by earbuds, by the time you listen to this, I won't have a house. <laughs> but soon after you do, I will have a house oh my goodness oh i can't wait to come visit you oh my gosh yes oh my gosh come visit me i I do want to i do i do i'm very excited we'll go to the brewery that is owned by jensen ackles (laughs) we will we will and we'll remember that not all things in life are disappointing (laughs) not all not all things not all things yay yay okay well everyone take care of yourselves out there and we love you and We'll see you next time. Yay. (laughs) Okay. See you next time. (laughs) Okay. Bye.